The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church Pulpit Series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. Good morning. It's amazing to be part of your church. It's really a privilege. You'll get used to my voice as I talk. And... uh, It happens everywhere I speak. But before we go in, I just want to pray so that we can calm down. God, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this privilege of meeting with my brothers and sisters here in Sydney. Lord, even as we look at your word today, I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would guide us. Father, let my words be clear. And Lord, even as I speak, let it be your words. And Lord, let not my voice be an impediment, but let it be clear, let it be really what you want to say, O Master. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. (coughs) So I work with uh, an organization called Justice and Hope. It's something that my family started. I'm not going to go much into the organization, but that's what I do now. I just want to give you a little background about my family. And there's a picture up there. Yes, that's the four of us. My daughter's gone to another church with my older sister and Olive. I'm Pranita, I'm from Chennai. We live in India all our life. And as my husband said, he's a musician, My daughter is 10 years old. She is in fifth grade, and she loves to cook, dance, read, always wants to be part of the young adults group, okay? And my son is three and a half. He's already a drummer, and God has healed him from almost near death um, due to an infection he picked up last year. And we as a family, we serve God. And the reason I put this out, I wanted to know that we're just like any other family living in a city, not as big as Sydney maybe, but we have a population of 12 million in Chennai. And it's quite congested, quite dirty and smelly, but I love my city. I love my city. And uh, we have a home that is open a home where people can hang out, come for help, just fellowship, just be around. There's Wi-Fi, just, you know, and young people like to come home and eat food, so. The word restoration is very powerful. We sang about it this morning. But restoration is not easy. At Justice and Hope, We work every day to restore children and women who've suffered trauma as a result of exploitation and abuse. My team works to rebuild the dignity that was forcefully taken away. And we help them overcome the past, overcome the current life, thrive, and begin to restore others begin to restore the places that destroyed them, begin to restore the people that tried to destroy them. 
This vocation that I do today is a direct response to the restoration I received in my own life. The shalom that I found in Christ. As a missionary child, I swore I'd never follow Jesus Christ. You know? Never. I was embarrassed. And I hated Christ for separating me from my parents. I grew up in a boarding school. About We had to travel almost two days to get there. And my life became very dark because this hatred made me very rebellious. I grew very defensive and rebellious. I was a troublemaker and eventually expelled from my schools, from my college, from my behavior. I closed myself to feelings, emotions. It was better I did not feel anything. And everything I did was self-gratification. Whether it was becoming famous, excelling at a game, I did strive very hard. And I did well. But it was all to, you know, for my self-gratification. Many times, without any morality, I would do whatever it takes to get where I wanted to be. I became self-destructive, got into many addictions. My heart was so cold and hard-hearted. My life was so dark and broken inside. I enjoyed watching freshmen in college cry. It gave me pleasure. And I would make sure that I wouldn't sleep if someone did not cry, like they'd have to come. You know, just sadistic pleasures. My paintings, my thoughts were so dark and vulgar. The nickname in college was CC, cold and calculated. I had hated who I'd become. In my coldness and brokenness, I came to realize that the only hope that I could find was in forgiveness and this forgiveness that Jesus Christ was offering. Hope in his unconditional love, hope that he would accept me as I was. So broken, so weak, because Jesus was the only one when I searched, said, come as you are. Because I had hated who I'd become. There was nothing good inside. Nothing good could come out of me. And so only someone who said, come as you are, made sense. And I knew I needed this power to overcome the darkness that engulfed me. I reached a point that I could no longer run away from God's truth. And at last I embraced it. Everything changed. In the restoration of people is not easy. I know this firsthand. But God restored my heart, my life, and he transformed me. You know, as Ezekiel writes, he God took my cold heart. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, it says, God took my cold heart of stone, and he gave me a heart of flesh. I have seen many, many miracles in my life, but the greatest miracle is the transformation of a heart. And that's why I say this is what I'm called to do. God restored my ability to feel emotion. Today I can empathize with the children that are 
abused and exploited. When I once sought to tear others down, today I see instant trust built when I meet somebody. I'm amazed that God can transform. You know, after God softened my heart, I returned to university. I eventually decided to do social work. And when I was finishing my social work, it was my birthday, and I sat in the chapel, and I was asking God, I said, God, you have to speak to me. You have to give me a very specific direction in my life. I want to know what the rest of my life is going to be like. And I heard this peer, the pastor just stand up. It was a regular service. <clears throat> he stood up, and he began to read from the Bible. In the Anglican church, the verses are decided at the beginning of the year. But that verse was for me. It, he began to read from Isaiah 42. And as he started, God was saying, I could feel it in my heart. This is for you. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delighted. I have put my spirit on him. I will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. I am the Lord, verse 6. I have called you in righteousness. I will take hold, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to bring out prisoners from dungeon and from the prison those who sit in darkness. It's a glorious, huge, huge vision. Nations, really? A light to the nations? It didn't make any sense to me. So I just wrote down the date, closed my Bible, went back to my dorm, and life went on. And that was my final year. This was in January. By May, I had finished college, gone home, went to meet the doctors because I had this, this pain that was nagging my right side. Went to the doctors and I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. I lost 60% of my right side. The strength in my arm, my face, my ability to swallow food. And the brain tumor was in my skull and it was coming down my spine. So it was a very dangerous position. And I underwent two surgeries. The surgery stopped the tumor because it was benign, but it, did, you know, it, it took away my voice. I woke up after surgery and I had no voice. I was completely mute. I went back to Isaiah 42, the glorious vision God gave me. And in verse 2 it says, you will not cry aloud, or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And I knew then, God was saying, all I want you to do is be faithful. Nothing else, be faithful. And God had already shown me that he could heal my heart. And now 
He could heal my body. I survived the surgery. I'm still alive. It was a miracle. And as feeble as my voice was, I could only whisper. You know, God would use that voice to bring freedom and restoration to those who suffer injustice. And even today, as I work to set others free, God sets me free every day. He has given me a voice. I got this voice after two years of not being able to speak at all. And, and God has continuously transformed me. I've struggled, but as Pastor was saying this morning, you know, God has been my refuge, my safe house, my stronghold, the rock that I've stood on. And, you know, the most beautiful thing that I experienced during that time was I had absolutely no fear of death. I could go through the tumor and know that if I'm alive today, I will serve God. If I die today, I will be with Jesus. And it was a beautiful time to be in the hospital and to share this hope with others who were admitted with me. And apart from this, I just want to share with you today three truths that have always kept me going and the work that I do has, has always challenged me. And the first truth is that we are all, we are all called to fulfill the Great Commission. It is a mandate for every individual, not just the pastors, not the, just the theologians, but all of us. All of us can do this. God is a God who hears the cry of the people, and he calls us. We can be a part of it, or we can just miss out the blessing of experiencing God's miracles as we do the Great Commission. Because in Matthew 28, 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our God is amazing. He gives us a command and he gives us a promise. Right? He says, go to the nations and remember, I'm always with you. Many times we hesitate. We do, we hesitate to do anything because we are afraid. I'm afraid all the time. Okay? Especially to even speak like this. But God says he's with me. So I just do it. And we feel inadequate. We feel it would be something that we can never handle. It may be intimidating. It may require us to go outside our comfort zone. Right? But God showed me very early in my work in human rights that it's not about me. I may feel all of this. I may be afraid. I may feel inadequate. But it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about, not about how I feel. It is God who begins the work, and it is God who will complete it. Over and over again, I have heard stories of slaves, of girls within brothels who called out to a God whose name they did not even know. 
But God, you know who, they just believed who could come and rescue them. I remember this young man, Chandru. Chandru was rescued from a rice mill and it was a terrifying place to be because we got to know about this rice mill because a young little boy was beaten so badly and bleeding from his head and we had taken him to the hospital. And then the mother told us that they were inside this rice mill and everyone there needed to be rescued. So we rescued Chandru and the rest of the laborers, including his family. And while I was talking to Chandru, after a week of being free, I noticed a cross on his neck. And like Timmy was sharing, many times I can't speak the gospel, but I can live the gospel. So I asked him, why are you wearing the cross? And he said, I was in the rice mill, and this man came up to our rice mill, and spoke to me about this man called Jesus. And I told him that I'm a Hindu, we worship different gods, so I'm happy with you worshiping your God, and I will worship my God. And he went away, this man. That night, when Chandru slept, they just have like maybe five feet by eight feet rooms, thatched roof, he saw Jesus appear in his room and with a cross. And Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will have peace. These are the words that he told me. And within a week, our team went to rescue him. These stories remind me that, and humble me, that it's not us. God goes before us, he prepares the way, he's already done all the work, and he's calling us to be faithful. Okay? And it's the same with the Israelites. The Israelites called out to God when they were slaves. And God says, now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. God is a God who hears the cries, sees the misery, and he reaches down to do something about it. He reached down to Moses. Moses protests. He even tells God, I'm slow of speech and of tongue. But God uses Moses to bring freedom to the Israelites from the powerful oppressors. This was not because of Moses' power or strength or excellence, but because God moved through him. It is God's plan and work, and he will use whoever you are. In each of the rescues, I believe that God heard the cry of the laborers, and then we went in. I want to show, share with you another story of Asha. I remember Asha was the first rescue that we did in sex trafficking. You know, my strength was to strategize, plan, execute the sting operation. That's very exciting for me. And I love doing that. Uh, but I specialize in trauma care and rehabilitation. So I really enjoyed doing both these sides. And we worked very closely with the government. And just before we did this operation, everything was set. My boss began to hesitate. He said, you know what, we've never done a sex trafficking case before. I'm sure we will be successful in rescuing, but we've never really rehabilitated somebody. 
And it was a challenging case. And my instinct was, you know, my first response was, we can do this. Not because I had experience, but God had come through for me every single time. And so we said, let's take this up. We will rescue children from real hell. And we will pray that God will give us wisdom. And he will teach us how to do this. And that's how we met Asha. It was a challenging case because I did not expect this when I went in. All my strategies and plan did not include that we would meet Asha and her sister being sold by their own mother. And so it became so difficult because Asha and her sister loved their mother. They did not know that this was wrong. And it was a difficult case to work on, but if you ask Asha today, she will tell you that I couldn't speak the language they spoke, but all I could do was, after the rescue, meet them in the government home, spend some time quietly with them, give them some paper and pens, uh, crayons to draw, and that's how I built the trust. And she remembers that. I couldn't speak the language. All she remembers is the love that we showed by just sitting with her. You know? And it reminded me of the verse. You will not cry aloud or lift up your voice or make it heard in the streets, but be faithful. Faithfully you will bring forth justice. And so we're called to serve whatever our strengths. We're called to be faithful. Secondly, we are transformed so that we can transform. God's love compels us. He who has been forgiven much will love much. Uh, even as we heard this morning that the servant was forgiven 10,000, and we would think that, yes, he would also be as forgiving. But we have stories in the Bible that we get transformed, but we don't do the same for others, right? The other thing, that truth, that when Jesus says, he who has been forgiven much will love much, at one point, did not make much sense to me, and I started to search scriptures. You know, Jesus says this when he actually is talking to the adulteress who comes and he's, who's wiping of his feet with his tears. And what stood out to me then is the truth that what Jesus was really saying is not that somebody needs to be forgiven much or less, because the truth is all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the prize of every sin is the blood of Christ. And so the the reality of how much we're forgiven is actually the realization that we have in our heart of the depth of forgiveness that we have received, the depth of how much we did not deserve what Christ did for us, right? And so when God transforms us and we walk every day with Christ, we realize more and more how much we do not deserve him, and yet 
God's grace is there for us. And when God transformed my life, I was at a place when everyone had given up on me, including myself. But the love of God touched me deep, and I totally believed if I could change and experience this new life, this fresh start, then anyone can. And so when I work with Asha and her sister, I know that they can feel, you know, re renewed, they can feel fresh, they can accept this love of Christ that can transform them. And we provided Asha and her sister with tuition. They were 12 and 14 when we rescued them. They received tuition, they finished college. Both of them stood first in school. I think Asha stood second. The older sister stood first in school. Asha finished among the top five in university. And she got into four IT companies, campus interview. But she came to me and she said, I don't want to be sitting in front of computers. I don't think that is what is, I'm called to do and what I've been through. And I said, yes, it's probably true because we need computers. It changes our life. It, it, it really helps us. But what you have been through is for a purpose. And you can restore all that you've lost by giving back. And so she works with justice and hope. And she goes back to the girls' homes where she was. And she says it was worse than hell. She said it was like hell just being there. But she goes back and she gives hope when she did not find hope until she found us coming and meeting her. And her story is a story that shows us that she was transformed so that she can transform. And she's brought so many girls to love, to experience the love that she has received. And God redeems all her circumstances and all her experiences. I wish I could bring Asha. She would be part of you and you will never know. Never. She's so transformed. God has changed her life. And she's so brilliant and excellent. So the third truth that I want to share with you is God's will for me is to become like him, become love. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The image of God, the shalom that we were created for, it was broken. And we live this life where God is restoring the shalom back in our lives, restoring that image of God within us. And that image is nothing but love, right? I have discovered that the proper source of courage is not just this willful determination that I can, but a decision to remember that this life belongs to God. It cost him his life. And that unconditional love that I find in Christ and that act of dying is what God is restoring us to. The example that Christ set for us, to die for others, to live and give unconditional love. 
Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While I was a sinner, an enemy, Christ died for me. Christ's love compels us every day. 1 John 4.7-9 says, God's love and ours. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. You know, God is not just someone who loves us, but he is love. As cold-hearted that I was, I still struggle even now sometimes to love. And God reminds me that he is love. When he comes in, into our hearts, he can fill our hearts with love. And the love of God is boundless. Asha experienced this love, and as she transformed, she knew that her heart was there to love. And she came up to me one day and she said, Akka, they call me, that's for older sister. She said, I feel like God is telling me to go and forgive my mother. I almost cried. I didn't, I wanted to be strong for her, so I, I just held back my tears. And she said, God forgave me. He gave me a new life. So why is it different for her? She is, she's serving imprisonment for 40 years. And it was at the testimony of Asha, right? So she said, yes, she's doing what she deserves. But God is calling me to forgive. And so we started doing visits. Initially, someone would go with her. But now she goes every month. And she meets her mother. And she's torn every time because she wants to bring her mother out and take care of her. But that is love. And that's what God wants us to transform into. When people look at us, do they see us and say, love, love, love. It's the hardest thing. But the truth is, God reminds us that he is the source of love. He created it. I cannot manufacture love in my heart. I can't try and try and try and love someone. No. It is something that I need to ask God to help me with. Forgiveness. And that is what God is calling us to be. He's calling us to change into his image and become love. Especially in our relationships, with our friends, with our family, sometimes our own parents. It is difficult, especially when they're close. But what about loving others fearlessly? I want to share this with you because I have found that this world is becoming more and more fearful. And the word of God in 1 John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. You know, the, the enemy of love is fear. And one of my friends, Rick Love, who works among the 
um, Muslim brothers and sisters. He once said this, he said, today the church is in so much fear that love has gone out. Perfect love drives out fear, but we're seeing perfect fear driving out love. That's where we're heading. And when we work, live in a community and a city like Sydney, or a city like Chennai, God is calling us to be those fearless people who can become love in our communities. And I love the vision of your church. It says, follow Christ, love his church, serve the city. That's amazing. I believe that we are here in this community to be the salt, the light, and to be love. And every home, every home has to be the church. Every home has to be open. How, when is it that we have entertained a homeless person in our home? When is it that we've invited someone who is sick to come home and taken care of them? These are just questions that I ask myself and I'm helping just sharing that with you. I'm sure God is, you're all a community that already believes this and I want to confirm it. That we are a community called to be the salt and light. You know, um, there's a verse, I think in Luke chapter 9, verse 50, which says, you will be salted by fire. And for a long time, I was like, Lord, I'm feeling so dry. I feel like there is no love in my heart. I feel so useless. And the verse came to me that what is good, what, what, what is salt worth if it is not salty anymore? And that's like the church in the community that doesn't really love anymore, that doesn't embrace the people around them, that doesn't become the salt and light. And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 50, I think, if someone can check that, it says that you will be salted by fire. And I realized that every time I became you know, like very complacent, I went through difficult times. And it reminded me and brought me back to my call and to what I had been through. And so I want to leave with you today that God calls us, God gives us a mandate to be the good news, to be the gospel. He transforms us so we can transform others and he goes before us. We don't go there first. God wants us to change into his likeness and become love. And Asha today is such a story of hope, of God's call, God's transformation. And I look at my own life and I think, I thought at one point that there was nothing good that would come out of me. But when God is involved, he can transform that. And it is not my strength, it is not, and God keeps me humble. He reminds me every day that I can do nothing. And in some ways, I'm happy that I'm very tiny because when I go challenge the very influential and the powerful, it reminds me that I have to go with prayer because nothing is gonna work. No one's gonna move a stick if they see me, right? <laughs> but I've seen mountains move when I just step into the offices of the 
politicians and the government leaders. And I'm reminded that it's not me. God goes before us and prepares the way.